Let's pray together. God, we do declare that you are the reigning king. And God, we do look to you. We look to your word, God, to speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for the fact that your word is alive and it's active. Lord, it does not come back void. And so we do pray and we lean in to the purpose that you have for us today through Matthew chapter 14. So God, we pray that you come by your spirit through your word, that you would lift up the name of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, one of the most fascinating events in nature is the emergence of a moth from its cocoon. Now, for those of you who are really into moths, this wouldn't be a surprise to you, but that event can really only occur on the part of the hardship of the moth that it goes through in freeing itself. And I'm sure you've heard of the frequently told story of someone who watched a moth go through this experience. And this individual wanted to help this moth and free it of its struggle. And so what this individual did is he snipped the shell of the cocoon and freed the moth of its struggle. And soon the moth came out, its wings folded and kind of shriveled up. And instead of the moth kind of expanding its wings in order to fly, the moth's wings became very weak. The moth, which typically would have just immediately stretched out and would have immediately flown, was now doomed to crawling out its brief life in frustration, never truly being the moth it was created to be. Now with the individual in that story failed to understand is that the hardship that the moth went through was an essential part of developing the muscle system of the moth's body, enabling the wings to expand. And so by unwisely uh, seeking to cut short the moth's struggle and hardship, the individual actually crippled the moth. Now the reason why I share that story about moths with you is not to give you a fun fact about moths in nature today, but in fact, I I believe that we as believers can fall into that same mentality as it relates to hardship that we go through in this life. That oftentimes we want to skip hardship. We want to speed up the process or we want that that season of hardship and trial to end as quickly as possible. And we can fall into this mindset where we, we not really fully understand that there might be other purposes that God has for us to teach us during those seasons of hardship. And yet I wonder what happens when we stop engaging with God during hardship. I wonder what happens in our own spiritual growth when we tell God, I've had enough, and we kind of check out spiritually. That perhaps our incorrect view of hardship at times and and kind of our knee-jerk response to escape it as quickly as possible is the reason why many Christians are crawling around through life like that moth instead of living a life of empowerment, vibrancy, and consistent growth, even when they encounter barriers. As we think about concluding our sermon series this morning, where we've looked at these specific issues, we've looked at anxiety, we've looked at disappointment with God, we've looked at doubts, we've looked at shame and moralism, And instead of looking at a specific barrier this morning, I want to look at at a bigger umbrella today that might contain many other potential barriers in our relationship with God. And so this morning, I want to look at the umbrella of hardship. That hardship can actually be one one of the biggest barriers in our relationship 
with God. That failing to correctly understand hardship and, and really the purpose of hardship in our lives can play a significant barrier in our growth as followers of Jesus. So our passage this morning, we, we have the disciples who are in a boat and they're surrounded by an intense storm. In fact, verse 24 describes the setting as being beaten by the waves and the wind was against them. When you go through hardship, that, that is exactly what that feels like, that you're, you're beaten down by life, that the wind feels like it's against you. Have you ever felt that way before? Just emotionally beaten down, maybe physically or relationally or maybe even spiritually, you just feel like the wind is against you? Maybe you're here this morning and and you'd say, Chris, that, that's exactly how I feel this morning. I, I just feel like life is against me, that I'm just being beaten down. And yet, if we're not careful, those seasons of life, those seasons of life in which we encounter hardship can actually serve as a significant barrier in our relationship with God if we don't have the correct mindset as it relates to hardship. And so the question that I want us to consider this morning is, how are we supposed to think about hardship and storms in our lives? That you're really in a storm or a storm is coming. And so what does a healthy mindset look like as it relates to the storms in our lives? And so as we move through this passage, I just want to highlight four characteristics of storms that can help us uh, give us a healthy view of hardship. So here's number one, is that storms are from God. Storms are from God. Now in verses 22 through 25, if you want to look there with me, it says this. It says, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Now, as we read these first couple verses, there most likely was a question that popped into your mind. The question of, okay, why is Jesus detaching himself from the disciples? Why is Jesus sending his disciples into a boat to go across this lake? Why, why does he need to go by himself and pray? Well, one clue to help answer that question is really found in the first word of our passage in verse 22, the word immediately. And we're told in verse 22 that immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side. Now, immediately from what? What did the disciples and Jesus just get finished doing? Well, looking at the passage right before ours in verses 13 through 21, you'll see Matthew record the incredible miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. This is a miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Now, they just finished a long day of ministry. Jesus was teaching this large group of people. He was healing their sick. He performed this amazing miracle. They just got done distributing all kinds of food to this large group of people. And so the reason we see Jesus withdrawn from his disciples is really because he needed rest. 
that Jesus was tired, that Jesus wanted to go and pray to his father. Now, this could kind of be a side sermon in and of itself. It's really challenging when you stop and consider that Jesus, the Son of God, thought it was necessary to get alone and spend time with his father in prayer. It's really challenging for us to think about our own relationship with God, our own time with him, and our own prayer life. There's really nothing like a good storm, like a good hardship in our lives to expose the condition of our prayer life. Now, if we could just take the video camera and kind of zoom in on the scene with the disciples in this boat where we've got this storm that's surrounding the disciples on this lake, I'm sure we would find a lot of confusion. If you're a disciple in this boat, you just finished a remarkable day of ministry. You just witnessed this mind-blowing miracle that Jesus performed, and now you find yourself in a boat in the middle of a lake, surrounded by this storm, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. I wonder if one of the disciples, it's not recorded here, but I just, I just wonder if one of the disciples, probably doubting Thomas, who was exhausted from a long day of ministry, just started asking all kinds of questions like, what are we doing here, guys? Why are we in this boat? Where is Jesus? Has Jesus forgotten about us? And yet I wonder if another disciple like Peter would have responded saying, well, even though we can't see Jesus right now, Jesus is the one who told us to get into this boat. Jesus is the reason why we're in this storm. And I think that's true. I, I don't know how robust the disciples' view was on God's sovereignty, but one thing that we do understand about this passage is the reason the disciples were in this boat, in this storm, is because Jesus made them get into the boat. Look at verse 22. It says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat without him. And, and really, that Greek word for, for made, that's it's really soft. It could be translated something stronger like compelled. That Jesus compelled the disciples to get into this boat and he knew the storm was coming. This storm was not a surprise to Jesus. The one who controls all of the storms knew that this was coming and yet still sent his disciples into this boat, into the lake to experience this storm. In fact, this is an incredibly important truth when, when you consider hardship that we go through in this life. And we need to remember that the hardship and the trials that, that we face, they are from the hand of God. That in his sovereignty and really his divine purposes, the way that he plans, the way that he orchestrates our lives, he, he not only controls the good and easy seasons of life, but God also plans and controls the hardships and the storms that we encounter. That the storms and hardships, they, they don't just kind of sneak into our lives without God realizing it. It's not like we experience a trial and, and God turns to the Son or Holy Spirit and says, man, did you see this coming? I, I had no idea about this. That hardships don't just sneak into our lives as if God can't control them. No, no, no. Everything that you and I experience first passes through the hand of our loving Father. In fact, I love the way that John Piper famously said that God is not driving an ambulance. 
who just shows up after all the damage has been done, trying to fix and help where he can as if he didn't know the tragedy would occur. No, in fact, as it relates to hardships that we face, John Piper said this, he said, God is like a surgeon who cuts in order to heal, who might inflict pain, but has purpose in the pain. I love that. I find that so true in Scripture when you see God's sovereignty throughout the Bible. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said that the more we believe that God hurts only to heal, the less we can believe that there is any use in begging for tenderness. What a line that is. He says a cruel man might, might be bribed, but suppose that what you are up against is a surgeon whose intentions are wholly good. The kinder and more careful he is, the more he will go on cutting. If he yielded to your entreaties, if he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain up to that point would have been useless. But is it credible that such extremities of torture or trials should be necessary for us? Well, take your choice. The tortures or trials occur. And if they are unnecessary, then there is no God or a bad one. If there is a good God, then these tortures or trials are necessary. For no even moderately good being could possibly inflict or permit them if they weren't. Did you catch what he was saying there? That the hardship that you and I face is from the hand of a loving God. And not only that, but this loving God has great purposes for what we go through because he is good that nothing happens by accident, and neither did this storm that the disciples encountered in Matthew 14. Now, the reason why that is so significant, the reason why I'm kind of belaboring this point, is because if all that we encounter is from God, including the hardships of life, then nothing, nothing is wasted. That God has a purpose for everything that we encounter, which means that instead of thinking about hardships as something to limit in our lives, as something to, to kind of escape, we should actually have the mindset of, I'm going to endure this as long as my good and loving surgeon sees fit. That he has a purpose in and through this hardship that he's doing that I may not be able to see in this moment. And having that mindset will actually help us understand James chapter 1. I mean, have you ever read James chapter 1 where it says, consider it joy, my brothers? Consider it pure joy, my, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind? Like, that is, that is so weird. Like, when you read that for the first time, to actually consider the trials that we face as joy. And so how can we consider them a joy unless they come from the hand of God. Did you also notice in, uh, in verse 25 that, that it wasn't until the fourth watch of the night, which was really any time between three and six, that Jesus finally came to them. So think about that for a moment, that Jesus delayed somewhere between six to nine hours before he actually came to his disciples. Imagine what that would have been like if you're, if you're in that boat with the disciples. That Jesus tells you, get in this boat, you're in this boat, and, and immediately you're surrounded by this storm, and Jesus 
is nowhere to be found. And they're just, they're just waiting. Have you ever been there before in life? Just, just kind of waiting in a particular season of your life, maybe of hardship, wondering, God, are you going to speak to me? God, are you going to enter into this time? God, I feel like I've been abandoned by you. Man, I, I know if, if I was in this boat, I'd be like, I'm done. Like, take me back to dry land. Like, man, I, I'm out of here. I, I'm through with this storm. And yet, little did the disciples know that Jesus was praying. <laughs> that in fact, that most likely, Jesus most likely was praying for them. See, where Jesus was positioned on this side of the mountain, he was only 200 yards away. And so Jesus most likely could see them from where he was on this mountain. And I just love that picture of Jesus just seeing the disciples out on this lake in the middle of this storm, most likely interceding for them. It's a great picture of what God is doing with us as we go through hardships and trials, that really God has the best vision, that God can just, he can see everything, past, present, and future, all at once. And yet for us, we just have this limited vision, especially when we go through hardship, that we're finite beings, and really all we can see is right before our eyes, and yet God just stands back, and he sees it all. This forces us to, to lean into him and to trust him. The God of the Bible who is described as completely sovereign and in control of all things, including the storms of life, is a God that we can trust. Compared to a God who has limited vision or who's surprised by our trials or a God who's not sovereign over them. So we see that even the storms in our lives are from God. Yet not only that, but storms, here's number two, storms can cause fear and doubt. Storms can cause fear and doubt to arise in our hearts. Read with me verses 26 and 27. But when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, this, this would have been a startling scene if you're one of the disciples here. I, I know a lot of them are fishermen. I know that they're used to being out on the water. But, but man, this is, this is scary stuff. Like, this is stuff on sci-fi. Like, this is the middle of the night, and you see just some, some mysterious figure just kind of walking on the water towards them. I mean, no wonder they're filled with fear, as the text says. That we can see that the storms that we encounter can cause a type of fear to well up in our hearts. Look, I, I know I might be stating the obvious with this point, that, that hardships have the potential of, of creating fear in our lives. But I think it's important for us to, to understand, and even for us to, to hear it this morning on, on a Sunday morning from the pulpit, that fear and anxiety and doubts and even going through times of, in, of intense questioning are common emotions in the Christian life. That just because God is sovereign and just because hardship comes from the hand of God does not mean that hardship is easy to go through. It does not mean that we won't have those times of fear and doubt and intense questioning. 
I think it's good just for us to kind of say that out loud, that if you're someone that is wrestling with fear, wrestling with anxiety, wrestling with doubt, that part of that is actually good, that you are wrestling. And I know in my own experience in, in pastoral ministry, it's, it's, it's very infrequent that I don't meet somebody that's wrestling with, with fear and anxiety on some type of level. And so if you're struggling with those things, please please hear me this morning. That doesn't make you a bad Christian. That if you're seeking counseling for those things, if you're seeking help, which, which some of you have, that, that, that's something that we encourage. That's actually a good thing. That doesn't make you a bad Christian. And yet also, that, that doesn't mean that we should just kind of sit back and, and not engage in being free from fear and anxiety. See, one of the most popular commands in all of Scripture is do not fear. And so we have to remember that feelings are real. They just cannot be authoritative in our lives. So when you get to the root issue of fear, I think we can all agree to this. More often than not, you're going to find all kinds of idols in your hearts. That when you get to the root issue of fear, what you will find more often than not, is, is the idol of security or control or comforts. You know, whether that's financial security, whether that's relational security, or just comfort and the ease of life without pain or struggle. But what fear can do in our lives is it can actually expose what we truly worship. That when our comfort and our security are threatened, that's when fear starts to take root within us. And so the disciples in our scene, they're, they're afraid. They're afraid of, of this figure that they saw. They couldn't see that it was Jesus. They thought that it was a ghost. But not only that, I'm sure the reason for fear was multi-layered. That I'm sure all of these thoughts of, will this storm ever stop? Will we survive this? I'm sure all of those questions were just kind of flooding their minds. Not only is this figure that's walking on the water did they think was a ghost, but I'm sure they're wondering, is this going to last forever? I wonder, have, have you ever asked those questions when you're going through hardship? Have you ever wondered, is, is this storm ever going to pass? Am, am I going to be in this season forever? And yet, the question that we need to ask ourselves in this passage is, is what is the relationship like between hardship and fear? What, what's the connection that, that we see in this passage? Well, the storms that we encounter can lead to fear because of how it impacts the way that we view and see God. And I think that you see that in this passage, that we see even the disciples who are in a physical storm, they're filled with fear because they think that they're seeing a ghost. So they can't recognize that what they are seeing is actually Jesus. And so we see a direct connection between how we view God and how we respond to our fears, that storms have the ability to cloud the way that we view God. Because our view of God can be negatively impacted when we go through storms, our ability to trust in him is impacted as well. See how they're very much connected? That we're not only supposed to engage in the battle of looking up at God, not at our circumstances, not at our emotions, 
but we are to engage in the battle of making sure that what we're looking up to is actually the God of the Bible and not the God of our comforts. So it's really easy when you're going through hardship to, to kind of create a God in your own image to bring you that relief. And then sometimes what we can do is we can kind of sprinkle a few verses on top and kind of create our own God. And so we need to engage in this battle of coming back to this book, coming back to Scripture to inform how it is that we view and see God. So the way that fear can, can sneak into our hearts is if our view of God is cloudy, then we will be unable to trust in him and rely on his promises. That when we become fearful or fear as if this trial is all that there is, that this will never pass, we can become paralyzed with anxiety. It's usually because of the way that we see God has become hazy. And so when you are battling fear, when you're battling anxiety and hardship, do you consistently ask yourself, how am I viewing God right now? How am I seeing God? Am, am I seeing the God of Scripture that's, that's pulling me through this hardship? Or am I seeing some other type of God? See, if we cannot see God, that, that, that he is with us in the midst of hardship, we will be unable to cling to his promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. That if we cannot see that God is with us, that God is the God of our struggles, that God will unleash this grace in our time of need, we will be unable to see that God will help us in and through the trials. That if we are unable to see God properly, we won't see him as our comforter, as our shelter, as our strong tower, as the one who can help us. That if we can't see God correctly, it will be easy to believe the lie that God has forgotten about us, that this storm is all that there is, and fear can quickly seize our hearts. And that's exactly what we see happen with the disciples. So we see that storms are not only from the hand of God, that they not only can cause fear in our hearts, but number three here, that storms stretch our faith. That storms stretch our faith. Look with me at verses 28 through 31. It says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, Save me. Now, this is really an amazing scene. I mean, the, the disciples go from this terrifying emotion, thinking that Jesus is a ghost. And then Jesus says, hold on, guys, it's, it's me. Do not be afraid. And then Peter says, he says, if it is you, which really could be translated since it is you. So Peter's not doubting that this is actually Jesus. He says, Jesus, since it is you, call me out to water and I will come. And so he says, come to me, Peter. And so he gets out of the boat and walks on water. And for those of you who know the Gospel of Matthew well, you'll know that this isn't the first time that the disciples are in a boat and they're in a storm with Jesus. That just a, a few chapters before ours, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 37, we see the disciples in a boat during a great storm. 
And yet in that situation, Jesus was with them in the boat. And here, we see Jesus not in the boat, but instead Jesus is walking on water towards them. Now, what's, what's the, the big difference here? What, what are we supposed to learn between these two different scenarios? Well, unlike the first situation in the storm, Peter is now compelled to act. That Peter is compelled to get out of the comfort of his boat, to get out of the safety of his boat, the familiarity of his boat, where all of his close friends were, and take a step of faith into the unknown towards Jesus. See, in the first situation, Peter and the other disciples, they never left the boat. They were just terrified, and they woke Jesus up to calm the storm. But here, we see action. We see movement. We see Peter get out of the comfort of his boat, and we see his faith being stretched. And that's exactly what storms can do for us, that storms have the potential to stretch our faith as we pursue Jesus. That hardship not only expose those idols of comfort and control and security, but they provide an excellent opportunity to stretch our faith. From time to time, um, I personally enjoy uh, working out and lifting weights. I have a membership at the YMCA, and, and I joke around with some guys there who attend this church that there are really two different kinds of people in this world. That there are those who actually enjoy working out, and then there are those who hate working out. And, uh, and at the gym, you really see both kinds of people working out. And you can kind of spot them immediately. Like you see some people who are just enjoying working out. Like this is, this is their zone. Like they're in their element. And then, you see, and then you see another group of people. They're just miserable. Like they don't, they don't want to be there at all. Like they're just kind of suffering through the workout. And for those of you who actually enjoy working out, for those of you who understand how to work out, you know that the way to get stronger is by increasing the weight of whatever it is that you're lifting. And so if you're uh, benching, you know, 180, and, and you're just pumping out like 12 reps, and you get to a point where it's, it's easy to pump out 12 reps, well, just stating the obvious here, it's time to move up in your weight, right? It's time to move from 180 to maybe 185 or 190, or if you're Tim Lucas Savage, maybe 200, okay? And, and you're just trying to push yourself a little bit. And yet, what you'll find is that that's painful, right? That's uncomfortable to add weight when you're working out. It's a really simple illustration here, but the Christian life is so very similar, that there's a process for growing and maturing into Christ-likeness. And oftentimes, that process that God has prescribed for us, it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's, it's painful sometimes. The, the situations that God asks us to walk through stretch our faith. That many times when we go through hardship, God is asking us to add more weight to our faith and step out of our comfort zone and trust him that oftentimes God considers this process of becoming more and more like Jesus as really as the goal of the storm, not just the means to some other end. And even though it's especially difficult during hardship where really all we want to do is stay in our comfort zone, we just want to stay in our security bubbles, we want to, like the other disciples, just stay in that boat, God is wanting to stretch our faith 
by calling us to obedience even during the storm. See, it's so easy during those storms, during those hardships, just to, just to kind of check out, just say, okay, God, don't ask me to do anything. I'm not going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm not going to trust you. I'm just going to try to just get in survival mode here. And yet, what God wants us to do more than anything during hardship is to step out of our comfort zone and trust him with obedience. That God, many times, is calling us out in faith. So when you look at your own life this morning, where is God asking you to step out of the comfort of your boat, to stretch your faith, to, to obey him in some area of your life? And maybe for some in here, it's, it's, it's your marriage. That maybe when you look at your marriage and you look at your relationship with your spouse, it's, it's all just one big storm. And maybe you're sensing the Lord just kind of calling you out of the comfort of whatever it is in your marriage, and he's calling you out to obedience, to just stretch your faith and do the hard things in your marriage in obedience. Or maybe God is calling you out within your friendships, that maybe you've just gotten so comfortable within the arena of your friends and you're missing opportunities to be obedient. Maybe God is calling you out of the comfort zone when you think about about building a bridge and building a relationship with someone across the racial spectrum. That maybe God is calling you and asking you to, to get to know somebody that doesn't look just like you. Maybe God is calling you out and, and, and wanting you to take a step in your evangelism and sharing the gospel with, with unbelievers that God wants to get you out of your comfort zone, your comfort boat, and actually share your faith more consistently. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's joining a small group. But where is God calling you to take a step of faith in obedience out of your comfort zone this morning? See, when you look at this scene, this is, this is really just an amazing scene of, of kind of the Christian life here. What you see with Peter is that there was something within him that called him out to step out in faith out of the comfort of his boat that there was something in his heart that said, this is worth the risk. That there's something greater than just staying put, than just, than just being status quo. There's something that was pulling him and compelling him to take that step of faith. And for Peter, it was seeing Jesus. That for Peter, he saw Jesus as something so valuable, such a prized treasure, that it was worth taking a step outside of his comfort zone and walking in obedience towards Jesus. Is Jesus that valuable for you this morning? Do you desire Jesus above your own comforts? Do you see Jesus as, as your prized treasure? And Do you feel him kind of compelling you to take a step of faith? Is he empowering your obedience today? So where's God asking you to step out and allow your faith to be stretched this morning. I think the majority of Christians are content with looking at Jesus from the security of their own boats because they don't want to go where they've never gone before, especially during a storm. You know, I think there's something slightly uncomfortable the closer that you get to Jesus. There's something that's 
a, a little bit uneasy the closer that you get to Jesus as he's calling us to, to shed our sin, to shed our temptations, and pursue him into the unknown and into the difficult times. There's something a little bit uncomfortable, and yet there's something ever so satisfying. So storms, they're from God. They create fear. They, they can stretch our faith. But here's number four, is that storms should lead us to worship. That storms should lead us to worship. Look with me at verses 32 and 33. It says, When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now we get to the end of our story, and we see that Jesus finally gets in the boat with the disciples, and the storm stops. It's just amazing to kind of think about it. I don't really want to make more than what that is, but it is kind of an interesting thought to, to consider that the storm ceases when the presence of Jesus comes into the boat. But verse 33, we, we see the disciples who are in the boat with Jesus, and they proclaim, you are the Son of God. Now, I want to emphasize here that, that this is really the climax of the story. That the climax, the, the apex of the story is not Peter walking on water. It's not even Jesus walking on water. It's not, it's not Jesus kind of calming the storm here. But the climax of the story is when the disciples finally recognize who Jesus really is, and it results in worship. This is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that the disciples finally understand that Jesus is the Son of God. That this is the climax of the story. And really, this is another important aspect of our passage that's different than in chapter 8, where the disciples' reaction in chapter 8 to Jesus calming the storm was, what sort of man is this? And yet here, the disciples correctly recognize Jesus as God, and it results in in worship. And one of the big takeaways from this sermon series and, and from this sermon this morning is that the best way to grow through the barriers that we will inevitably go through is to worship our way through them. That we can either look to God as someone who will fix or, or solve our questions or our pain, or we can look to God as the object of our worship. And our worship will really only be as passionate and genuine as our view of Jesus. That if you, if you see Jesus for who he is, you see Jesus as the risen Savior, as the one who holds the whole universe together. You see Jesus as the one who one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That if you see Jesus as the one who paid the ultimate penalty for our sin, you see Jesus as the, the forgiver of our sins, the one who knows everything about us and yet loves us still. When you see Jesus for who he truly is, that will result in worship. And especially during the storms and the hardship of our lives, we understand that Jesus is really all that we need, that Jesus is all that our souls are craving, not the security of our comfort zones. Man, can you imagine the kind of conversations that took place after this storm was calmed between the disciples? 
I mean, can you imagine like what they were dialoguing about? I wonder if, if one of the disciples kind of turns to the other and says, man, that was crazy back there. Like, Peter, you're, you're walking on water for a little bit there. And then you got, you got scared, which is understandable. But man, that was nuts. And Jesus just calmed that storm when he got into the boat. That was crazy. And I wonder if one of the disciples just w- would have said, man, w- was it worth it? Like, we were pretty scared back there. Like, we, we thought Jesus was a ghost. Like, we were, we were terrified. Was it worth it? And, and I wonder if the disciples were like, of course it was worth it. Of, of course that storm was worth it because we saw Jesus for who he truly is. That he is the Son of God. And look, it, it resulted in us worshiping. It resulted in in us feeding our souls what we truly need and what our souls are truly craving. That it resulted in in having a correct view of who Jesus actually is. I'm sure the disciples would have resonated with, with Spurgeon, who said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. How would you assess your worship this morning. If you kind of did a, a self-analysis of your own worship, not just on Sunday mornings, but as you live your whole life as an act of worship, what grade would you give yourself? And I wonder if, if you've stopped worshiping with your life. I, I wonder if it's because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. That I wonder if you can relate to, to verse 30 here with, with Peter who, as he's walking on water, he, his gaze shifts from looking at Jesus to the circumstances around him, to the, to the wind and to the water. That I wonder if, if this morning that you need to kind of refocus your attention and your, and your affections back on to Jesus today. That maybe you're here this morning and, and you feel like because of your circumstances that you just feel like you are sinking like Peter was in verse 30. If that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to refocus your attention, to refocus the eyes of your soul back on Jesus today. That this, that's really part of the, of the purpose of us as a family when we gather together, when we sing songs, when we pray, when we hear from God's word, that, that we're just refocusing the eyes of our souls back on the person and work of Jesus Christ that we refocus our affections and our desires, that, that we remind ourselves that the storms that we go through do not have the final say, but King Jesus does. So maybe you're here today, and, and that's, that's just your, your call of response. That, that's your action step, is just to, to refocus your gaze and your attention and your view back on Jesus. Because you'll notice the more that you're looking at Jesus for who he truly is, no matter what you're going through, that will result in true worship. Maybe others of you are here today and and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you're here and you just kind of stumbled upon your way in here. Maybe you're here with a family member just to kind of appease them. And and I just want to say I'm so glad that you're here today. So glad if you're not a believer that you're, that you're in church. I mean, that's kind of ironic if you think about it. But I wonder if you're here today and, and you would say, man, I, I'm just stuck in the boat of my life, just pursuing all kinds of comfort and security, and yet deep down I'm searching. That maybe you would say that deep down this life is just not satisfying. This life is not fulfilling me. 
Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and, and verse 30 really resonates with you, that you feel like you're sinking because of the, the circumstances around you. I just, I just want to invite you to come to Jesus today, that if you're not a believer, to, to turn away from yourself and your sin and to trust in Jesus today and what he's accomplished for you on the cross, that you have a, a Savior who is waiting to receive you no matter what you have done, no matter the secrets in your life, that, that God, through Jesus, wants to accept you because of what he has done for you on the cross, that he paid for your sin, and he wants you to come to him in faith and to trust in him today. And so this morning, as we, as we look to, to singing just a few more songs today, I just want to just challenge you just to, just to press into Jesus as we look to closing this sermon series, we've, we've looked at all kinds of barriers. And we've looked at, at anxiety. We've looked at, at disappointment with God. We've looked at weariness. We've looked at doubting. We've looked at shame and moralism and now fear. I mean, we've looked at some heavy, heavy issues. And I don't know, maybe this morning, you just need just more of an extended time of worship today just to kind of pour out your heart before God and just say, God, would you meet me here in this storm, in this hardship this morning? So I just want to challenge you to not miss this opportunity, to not miss this moment of whatever it is in your life that you're struggling with and dealing with, just to bring that before King Jesus today. As we sing these last couple songs, that just to bring that and just ask the Lord to work in your life with that. And of course, we'll have, um, we'll have our prayer team in the back this morning. So, so if you need prayer today, if you need someone to talk to, if you, if you are going through a storm and just a season of hardship, I just want to invite you to go to the back there and there'll be a, a team of people that would just love to pray with you, that would love to, to talk about Jesus with you and just minister to you. You don't have to come up to the front. But where is God asking you to step out in faith today, in obedience. Let's press into that this morning as we close. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do give you praise and thanks that you are the king of kings. God, that you do have the power over any storm that we encounter. God, we thank you that you have a purpose for the hardship that we go through. Lord, thank you that you are a God who, who doesn't leave us to ourselves to kind of navigate and figure out life. But Lord, you've given us your spirit, you've given us your word, you've given us the family of God to, to help us. And so Lord, I pray for these last couple moments in our service, Lord, that your spirit would just continue to roam freely. God, that you would speak, that you would encourage, that you would give power to those this morning that are just struggling with a specific barrier. And Lord, I pray that as we leave today, that our hearts will be stirred, that our desires would have grown for you, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.